Welcome to the 134th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will preview the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament Final Four and talk about the upcoming Major League Baseball season. Let's jump right in with a look at that NCAA Men's Final Four, starting with the matchup of number two seeded Villanova versus number one seeded Kansas. Well, uh, I think we already talked, well, we talked about both these games very, very briefly on the last episode of the podcast, so I'm going to talk about them in a more formal way. Uh, honestly, I think Kansas now with the injury of uh, Charlie Moore, or sorry, Justin Moore, uh, it's they win every single matchup at this point. I think that at some point you can make the argument that Villanova's guards were better than Duke's and by a good amount. But without Justin Moore, I don't exactly know if you can still make that argument. Obviously, Colin Gillespie still could be second or third best player on the floor, but the way Mark Williams is playing in the tournament, and obviously Paolo Bancaro on talent and the way he's playing in the tournament also, he's easily the best player on that court, and it's not even close. Uh, Jermaine Samuels and Colin Gillespie are still very, 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 very good players, but I don't know that a team that's already has a short rotation and already had one of their seven-man rotation men out, uh, Longino, from most of the season having that already as an issue now you're down to five players from your original seven-man rotation including a starter being out who's played for a while I just don't know if Villanova's going to be able to sustain that but regardless uh it would be even if they do lose and pretty much every single time we ever we bury a team and give their little uh and give the, the story of their season they always end up winning especially with you and the Bengals in the postseason you did that a few times uh but regardless not, not just Villanova, but the whole Big East had a very good season. You now have Xavier even winning the NIT also, uh, being crowned the best team to not make the tournament, <laughs> I guess you can say. Uh, you, then you have Villanova, who's making it to the Final Four. This was a great run for them. Uh, you have Creighton, who unexpectedly got their first-round win, even without their starting point guard against the best defense in the country, arguably. Uh, and overall, and Providence, obviously, was one of those teams that everybody said, oh, Iowa's going to roll over Providence and... They didn't even get to play them, and the team that beat Iowa lost to Providence by 30. So overall, I will say, even if they do win, it is a very, very good year for the Big East, no matter what happens with Villanova. Um, and then for Kansas, I think we can safely say that if they win this game and if they go on to win the national championship, the Big 12 was definitely the best conference this year. But I will go ahead and say Kansas wins this game. I'll say 72-63. Um, well, look, I agree with you. It would have been an uphill battle for Villanova against Kansas if they weren't injured and they are just too banged up. Uh, Kansas wins this game. And I don't even think it's going to be close. Uh, you had you had sort of a 10-point-ish game. I think it's a 12, 13-point game. Um, 60-73, we'll go with that. Um, all right, let's move on then to the clash of rivals for the first time ever in the NCAA tournament and having it happen in the Final Four. Number two, Duke versus number eight, North Carolina. Well, I am surprised that this is the first matchup they've ever had in the tournament, uh, but I'm not surprised to see that it happened this year. Of course I am. I mean, really, North Carolina was an eight seed this year. Uh, that was completely uh, a ha April Fool's joke. Um, anyway, Duke is just better than North Carolina. I think there's nothing I can, I, I can say about it. I don't think there's anything that has to do with Coach K with this. Uh, and also, I really think that North Carolina beating Duke on the final game of the year might actually come back to bite them because now Duke wants revenge, and I don't think that their main focus will be, oh, we got to send Coach K out the right way, at least in this game. Uh, we we got to make sure that he gets 
that he gets the right send-off. He's got to go all the way. we got to make sure he wins the championship in his final year. Now it's actually not about him. It's about them getting revenge on North Carolina for spoiling them the first time around in his last regular season game and on their senior night. So now the players have something to be mad about as players, regardless of what's going on with Coach K. And also, they did beat him on his final game too, so they have that to get revenge for. But it's less pressure about Coach K. It's more pressure about getting revenge on the team that you already don't like at all uh, and now making it even worse. So I think Duke will play actually pretty loose in this game, honestly. I don't feel like this is going to be one of those games that's going to come out 8-8 eight to eight at the under eight, at the under 12 timeout before people start scoring. I think it'll be high-paced. I think it'll be, or sorry, fast-paced and high-scoring right from the beginning. Uh, and I think that Duke will be able to win this game. I'm going to say Duke wins 85-80. Well, I agree with you 100%. I think this is one of those things where you know, you look back and say, oh, would you rather have won in your last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium or would you rather have beaten them in the Final Four to get to the National Championship? Well, they, the good thing for North Carolina is no matter what, they've had a season to remember. They made a Final Four when they definitely shouldn't have, and they have a win that they can talk about for the next, as J.J. Redick, as J.J. Redick, a Duke alum, described it, something that they can talk about for the next 50 years regardless of what happens in this game. And all the reason why Duke's still hungry, Duke has, like you said, the mental edge, um, I think that's a talking points for the coaches. Well, they don't even need to say it. Like the players know. Look what happens if you get caught up in the moment. These guys punched you in the mouth before uh, all the. In- and then they can also point back to the first game where they were they with nothing, no pressure, no real situation on it. They just went into North Carolina's gym and pretty much ran them out of the building in the first three minutes of the game. So they have Duke has all the intangibles on their side and they have all the talent. I was about to say uh, and a lot I don't think talent. this game is close either. I think it's a ten point game. I think this is a seventy eight sixty eight game. I think both of these final four games are not great games. Um, they're mismatches and the real uh, heavyweight match comes in the national championship game, which you and I are both predicting number one seed at Kansas against number two seed at Duke. Coaching legends Bill Self and Mike Krzyzewski squaring off against each other in Mike Krzyzewski's last game. Patrick, your thoughts on that? Well, it it might be his last game, you should say. It's not like this is set in stone already, but uh, I think we disagree here. I'm picking Kansas. I really think that I said the pressure wouldn't get to Duke against North Carolina, but two days later, when it is the final, final, final game of his career, and they have a chance to win a national championship, I think the experience will win out. Kansas is a much older team, but you could still make the argument they are equal, if not better, in talent with Remy Martin and with Ochai Baji. So overall, I don't know where I could give the edge to Duke other than in rim protection uh, and in the bigs battle between Bancaro and McCormick and maybe, I don't even know who you would call the four for Kansas. I guess it is Baji and then also David McCormick. Uh, but overall, I don't really care. I'm going with Kansas. Uh, better guards, better overall team. And I really feel like Ochai is going to have the weekend of his life after having a pretty bad first weekend and a pretty eh second weekend up until the second half against Miami. And I think that that second half against Miami has set off his momentum. And I think he's going to be Final Four most outstanding player. And I think he's going to carry his performance all the way. I know all the hype about Remy Martin, uh, especially because he was the Big 12 preseason player of the year. And he's been playing super well in the tournament. I think it's Ochai's time to shine. Uh, And I think Remy Martin will be great alongside him. He'll probably be first team of that all-tournament team, or the all-Final Four team. But I think that Ochai will be the player of the 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 Final Four most outstanding player. 
I think that's his award to lose, and I think they're going to win the game off of his performance. And I think he might, I think he might score twenty or twenty-five in both of those games, honestly. And I think he'll do it pretty efficiently too. All right. Well, I agree with you on paper. Kansas is the better team; should win this game. Um, but I'm going to predict that Duke finds a way to beat Kansas and win the national championship in a storybook storybook finish to Coach K's Hall of Fame career. Um, there's no reason on paper, matchup wise, et cetera, that this should happen, like you said. I mean, Pella Bancaro could just dominate the game. I just think they, but. I think they find a way. Um, and I always like a good storybook ending, even to a career that sometimes I was at odds with, being uh, not necessarily being the biggest Duke fan over the years. But you uh, wouldn't be the only one. Exactly. So uh, let's let's see what happens. Uh, I think this will be a very good game. Um, but uh, again, I think Duke Duke does it. They find a way to beat Kansas. Um, any further thoughts, or should we wrap up and move on to Major League Baseball, which is starting its season? Um, come this coming Thursday on April 8th, a little bit delayed due to the lockout. Um, so let's turn the page and move to our preview of Major League Baseball. Before we make our predictions for the season, let's start with some notable offseason moves to get people up to speed on who's where. Well, there's a lot going on. I tried to connect this from team to team and then in the end had to go just division by division to cap it off. But let's start with the World Series favorites this year, the Dodgers traded A.J. Pollock for Craig Kimbrell. That was actually today uh, after signing Freddie Freeman, but also letting Corey Seager and Max Scherzer and Kenley Jansen go to the Rangers, Mets, and Braves, respectively. So some Dodgers-Braves back and forth. So actually, both teams trading franchise or letting go of franchise legends and letting them walk to the other team, which is interesting as they've had... Not necessarily a rivalry, but a little bit of a, a lot of playoff matchups between the two. I think Freddie Freeman is probably Freddie Freeman and Kenley Jansen have probably gone up against each other in important moments eight or nine times in the playoffs alone, and it's been I think what since 2013 or 14 the Dodgers have played the Braves five or six times in the postseason, whether it be in the NLCS, the NLDS, etc. I mean they played them a lot. Uh, and the Dodgers have stood in the Braves' way of winning a World Series multiple times. The Braves have stood in the Dodgers' way last year. Uh, and the Braves also have had some legendary Atlanta playoff chokes against the Dodgers, uh, namely in 2020, and also some other series before that. But look, there's a lot of history between those two teams, but overall you get some big moves with probably two guys who will get their jerseys, who should at least have their jerseys retired by those franchises especially easy for the Dodgers because I don't know how many people want to wear 74 in the first place. Uh, but Freddie Freeman is definitely getting that jersey retired at the end of his career, and if he doesn't, that's really bad by the Braves. Uh, but speaking of the Braves, they traded for Matt Olson to replace Freddie Freeman, who's now going to be there for eight years, while Freddie Freeman's going to be with the Dodgers for six years, probably to the end of his career, uh, and also re-signed Eddie Rosario, but they did let go of Jorge Soler and Jock Peterson, who pretty much led them to the World Series on their on their little bit of a rebirth. Their outfield had to rebrand itself after Ronald Acuna went out uh, with an injury. And now they're going to get Acuna back from injury. And then, obviously, I also said that they're getting Matt Olson. Uh, so they didn't make many moves other than Kenley Jansen and Matt Olson. But uh, overall, I think the Braves did get better this offseason, uh, especially getting Acuna back for sure. Uh, and then, because that, I mean, that, that clears one of those guys, that, that clears out the spot of, Soler and Jock anyway, so it doesn't really change much. And they're going to get Marcelo Zuna back, who was suspended and injured at the end of last year. Uh, so they get back their entire outfield that wasn't there last year and re-sign Eddie Rosario to close out that outfield. But moving on from that, and speaking of outfielders, their divisional rivals, the Mets, picked up Starling Marte, Mark Canna, Adam Adovino, and also Chris Bassett, along with Max Scherzer, 
uh, getting them from all different places. Uh, and look, the Mets are really trying to challenge the Braves and probably what's going to end up being the tightest divisional race this year between the Braves and the Mets, I would assume. Uh, other than the AL East, that's probably actually going to be the really toughest one. But I'll move on from that. The Giants let Kevin Gosman and Chris Bryant leave in free agency, but also were able to pick up Carlos Rodon from the White Sox. Uh, and while Gosman left to go to the Blue Jays, Bryant went to the Rockies. The Blue Jays lost Robbie Ray to the Mariners and Marcus Simeon to the Rangers, but picked up Yusei Kikuchi from the Mariners and also traded for Matt Chapman. Uh, and speaking of the Mariners, along with Robbie Ray, the Mariners traded for Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez, getting those two from the Reds. Uh, the Reds also lost Nick Castellanos in free agency to the Phillies, who joined Kyle Schwarber. More on the Reds later, because they lost uh, a lot more than just that. Uh, but moving on from that, uh, the Reds, as I said, the Kyle Schwarber joined Castellanos with the Phillies. While the Red Sox lost Schwarber, they picked up Trevor Story. They also traded for Jackie Bradley Jr., but gave up Hunter Renfro in the process, which I would argue is definitely a net negative. Uh, and then, continuing with the AL East... The Yankees signed Anthony Rizzo and traded with the Twins to acquire Josh Donaldson, Ben Rortvet, and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. The Tigers also made some moves involving the Twins, signing former Twins pitcher Michael Pineda, also getting former Red Sox pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez, along with Javier Baez, catcher Tucker Barnhart, Barnhart and Andrew Chafin from the A's. From those trades, the Twins added Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela and also added Carlos Correa, Sonny Gray, Dylan Bundy, and Chris Archer. So a lot of pitching and also a lot of infielders for them. Uh, their divisional opponent, the Royals, were more quiet, but also added Zach Granke and Amir Garrett. And I should mention that the Twins got a long-term extension done with uh, Byron Buxton, which is very important. And he missed a lot of last year, too. So kind of in the similar situation to the Braves there, although not obviously starting at as high of a place. Uh, but the Angels were the loudest team in the AL West besides the Mariners. Signing pitchers Aaron Loop and Noah Syndergaard from the Mets, while they also added Michael Lorenzen, Ryan Tapera, Matt Duffy, and Tyler Wade. The Nationals and the Cubs, once NL powerhouses, were very, very quiet, with the Nats really only adding Nelson Cruz, and the Cubs only adding Marcus Stroman and Seiya Suzuki, although Suzuki was the biggest international signing of the offseason. Many, many teams wanted him to be on their team. I think they were down to, I think there were 13 or so that were still in on him by the end that might have been finalists. Uh, the Brewers added Hunter Renfro in the aforementioned trade, while also adding Andrew McCutcheon and Mike Brasso from the Rays. The Cardinals added Corey Dickerson and also signed Albert Pujols for the final year of his Hall of Fame career. Uh, the Padres got bad news with Tatis being held out for three months, but they did trade for Matt Beatty and Luke Voigt while signing Jorge Alfaro, and I hope I didn't miss something really, really big, but knowing me, I probably missed one signing, but I don't know. Well... That was a lot of material there, so uh, if you missed something, I think people would understand. All right, with all those moves um, between divisions, between teams. Blame the lockout. Losses, it was 91 days. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a lot of activity in a short period of time with that lockout. And with all those moves, uh, let's start with thoughts on divisional picks, starting with the American League East. I am picking the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, I like their rotation, even without Robbie Ray. I like the, I mean... Honestly, Gosman for Robbie Ray, it's just like they're going to pick a new NL West pitcher every single year. Uh, but look, Gosman's probably, I don't think he's going to put up the exact numbers that Robbie Ray did, uh, especially because of who's in the AL East. I don't. I think it's impossible to do the same numbers you did in the NL West when having the Diamondbacks and the Rockies to beat up on, uh, when you have to go through the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Rays, uh, and you know, there's the Orioles to beat up on a little bit. But I still think that Toronto with... Vlad Guerrero and the infield that they have. I mean, they 
look, I could go on and on with a lot of their players. Even while losing Marcus Simeon, their team overall is still good enough that they should be good enough to win their division, and I definitely think that they will. Uh, so I'm going with Toronto for that. I'm going to go with the Rays. Uh, they actually had a sort of a commanding lead in this division, and um, I think a lot of people made a lot of different moves, but I don't think enough to gain on the Rays. And I think the Rays' young talent, particularly offensively, um, is going to just get better and better. So, And they also do the same thing every year, so it's not exactly hard to pick them either because somehow every year they're never predicted to win, and they always do. Yep, that's so I'm just I'm going to say I'm going to, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the Rays, although it's obviously the most competitive division in baseball. Um, let's move on to the AL Central. Uh, I will go with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, I think I think probably ended up with the biggest division lead at the end of last year. Uh, because the Giants and the Dodgers had great records, but were in the same division as each other. Um, so definitely had the biggest division lead last year. And uh, I don't think any teams got as good as the White Sox did. Actually, I remember one addition that I forgot. The White Sox added Josh Harrison, adding to another player that the A's lost in the offseason. And someone else added Jan Gomes, but that's a different story. Uh, but look, the White Sox... They didn't get worse. They might not have gotten better. They might not have gotten a lot better. If anything, they maybe got a little bit better. And I think I actually like the Pollock trade for them because Kimbrell was really, really struggling in the setup role. And uh, I don't know I don't know what they're going to do with the end of their bullpen. Now I guess Joe Kelly becomes the sixth inning guy for them. I uh, forgot Joe to mention him too. Uh, now that I think about it, there you go. I just for some reason thought I mentioned everybody with the White Sox. I guess I didn't. Uh, but... They, they they overall were probably stayed even in the offseason, honestly. They didn't get too much better. They didn't get worse. Uh, and overall, I think that that's good enough because I don't think anybody in that division can close a 15- to 20-game gap with any additions they could have made unless they had a monster offseason and basically added everybody the Dodgers did without giving up a single player <laughs> and also added some other players alongside of it. I mean, it, it's just hard to close that big of a gap in one year. I agree with you. The gap's too big. Now, part of that gap was artificial because the Twins had such a dismal season last year, probably played way below their potential. But even if they played up to their potential last year, even with the talent they added, I still don't think it's enough to close the gap. Um, so I'm going to stick with the White Sox uh, like 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 you uh, have predicted. So with that uh, consensus, let's move on to the AL West. I'm going to pick the Astros in the AL West. I think it's really hard to pick anybody else. Uh the A's were close with them last year, but then they decided that uh, it was over and their franchise is terrible and everybody sucks and they need to trade everybody. So they did that. Uh, no comment on that situation. Uh, but they got a lot worse, uh, and the Astros pretty much just stayed the same, other than losing Carlos Correa. But losing Carlos Correa does not close the gap from the Mariners and the Angels to the Astros. All right, well, I'm going to say that the Mariners catch the Astros. Um you know, I don't know how well Justin Verlander is going to hold up for the Astros. He's coming back. That's a question mark. Got some other injuries on the pitching staff. They lost Correa. They had some McCullers, too. Yeah. They, 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 lost, they lost Correa, which I think is a, is a big part. And I think uh, the Mariners had some nice additions. They were close last year. I'm just going to go with the Mariners to say the streak ends with the Astros. It's not a large gap, by the no, way. It's not as large games, of a gap right? as the White Sox. Uh, I think five games between them and the A's, but a lot bigger between oh, them and the right. Mariners. But. Yeah, the, it was still it, it was still not terrible. It was not the world's largest gap. So, all right. Well, let's move over to the National League, uh, and let's start in the NL East. Well, I think I'm picking the Braves here just because I think there's a chance you could argue they got better uh, with 
with who they're getting back from injury. I think in terms of the actual free agency moves, they got slightly worse, but that doesn't really matter because they're coming off winning the World Series. Uh, and then when you factor in the fact that Acuna and Ozuna are coming back from injuries, uh, that doesn't get included in who they actually added last from last year to this season, but they got better in their outfield massively with those two uh, update uh, upgrades there from uh, from getting them back from injuries. So uh, overall, I think you got to stay with the Braves there. I'm going to go with the Mets. I'm going to say the Braves have a letdown. Um, teams often lose that hunger when they win the World Series. They're not, you know, you don't know with the lockout. Who the heck knows how it impacts everybody? The Mets. Dodgers are. lost their division after Dodgers winning the World lost. Series finally. Yep, that streak got broken. How many years in a row they won? Nine years been <laughs> nine years with no eight years with no World Series. Ninth year after you win it, it's all over. <laughs> now, again, they finish, what, one game behind or something. But With also the second-best record yeah, overall. Over 100 but. wins. But um, I'm going to say the Mets get it done. I'm not saying the Braves aren't going to make the playoffs, and I'm not sure that, I'm not saying the Braves aren't going to make a bigger playoff run than the Mets, but um, I, I think the Mets, with their additions, they put it together and they they overcome the the, uh, the Braves, who may have uh, feeling, feeling a little sense of accomplishment and not having that hunger. Well, Atlanta teams choke in the playoffs. The Mets always choke in the regular season, so that's another reason why I can't pick them. Okay, well, let's move on to the NL Central. Well, I think I'm going with the Brewers here. It's just, that rotation is just way too good. I, I just don't see a reason why the Cardinals have enough with their rotation of really a bunch of guys over 35 uh, and then some guys coming off of injury-riddled injury, injury, injury seasons last year. I just don't see how that team comes up and closes the gap between them and the Brewers. And uh, overall, I don't really see anybody else in that division. The Cubs got a little bit better, but were terrible last year. Uh, the Pirates are still bad, and the Reds got way, 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 way worse. So uh, overall, it's really a two—it's really a two-team race between the Brewers and the Cardinals, and I think the Brewers win that race. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a two-team race between the Brewers and the Cardinals, and the Brewers, I think, if anything, um, I, I think had a little rougher year last year. Kristen Yelich didn't have the kind of season that they expect him to have. I think he will rebound um, and maintain that gap between them and the Cardinals, who didn't really do anything material to get better. And they made um, some additions in the offseason, too. Yeah, so I will, I will agree with you. I'll stick with the Brewers in the Central. Let's move over to the National League West. Well, we're both fans of the team. We know who we're picking. We're picking the Dodgers. I will say, last year this was supposed to be a two-team race between the Dodgers and the Giants and turned into a three-team race with the Dodgers. Or, sorry, supposed to be a two-team race between the Dodgers and the Padres, then turned into a three-team race between the Dodgers, Giants, and Padres, and then turned into a two-team race between the Giants and the Dodgers, leaving the Padres out. And now the Padres don't have Fernando Tatis for three months to start the season, so... Even if they bring up C.J. Abrams, who's their organizational top prospect and I think one of the top ten in baseball, I, I still don't think that, look, no one is Fernando Tatis but Fernando Tatis. There are other MVP candidates who probably aren't as good as Fernando Tatis, and I think it's easy to say that. So uh, there, no one can replace him. No one can get up to the level that he can. Uh, he's top five in the league in win probability added from last year among position players. It, you cannot get a more impactful player than Fernando Tatis, especially not a guy who's going to be a prospect in his first season, regardless of how good C.J. Abrams may be. It's just not going to happen, and I don't really care any additions that they made. It, it, they cannot get that much better. And I think that the Giants, uh, overall, probably got a little bit worse losing Chris Bryant, and they're going to have to make some, some, some additions at the trade deadline to actually get into a race with the Dodgers, honestly, in my opinion. And I think the Dodgers just got better. I, I honestly think they got better. 
I think we're looking at Mookie Betts after a down year, but where his expected numbers were way higher than his actual numbers. And I think if this year the script gets flipped a little bit and it's more like his MVP season where his expected numbers were right with his average with his actual averages, he's going to have an MVP level year, maybe not actually win the MVP, but he'll be up there. Uh, I think Cody Bellinger, all he needs to do is just hit above 200. And then all of a sudden the Dodgers have a vastly improved outfield. And then if they don't get injured and Freddie Freeman just does what Freddie Freeman does, the Dodgers are better than last year where they only lost the division by one game with the Giants having their best season in franchise history, I believe. So I, I don't think that I, I don't think that even with uh, the Dodgers' former playoff hero, Jock Peterson, the man himself, the Giants are able to hold that division lead. I think the Dodgers start another streak of winning the NL West. Yeah, I think it's it's the Dodgers. The Dodgers, like you said, Giants had a storybook season last year, and they got worse. Uh, lost some players to retirement. They're getting old. and Buster Posey. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> they're getting oh, that's a player that I didn't mention. Yeah, there you go. They are they they were old to begin with, so they've got some players who uh, who are sort of on their last legs, and it seems like it all it all came together last year. To, uh, Again, we watch the Giants a lot. It seems like they won a lot of games I mean, with small ball. And, I think and Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, and Buster Posey all played like their peak selves last year. You're not going to have Buster Posey this year. Brandon Belt had some injuries last year that stopped him. Chris Bryant and you're there. also losing Chris Bryant, who was kind of filling in there. And, and Gosman was their ace who they lost. I, and I don't think Rodone can replace Gosman. He'll be, he'll be almost as good, but I don't think quite as good. And I think that that same rotation, they had a lot of guys who had great years last year with Wood and with Di Scalfani, I don't think they exactly repeat those levels of years. They'll still be good, but I don't think you're looking at a top, the, the number one ERA again. I think they'll still be somewhere in the top five, the top ten for sure. Uh, and overall, they're definitely going to make the playoffs. I don't think that's, I'm not even questioning that. Uh, but they, they still won't, I don't think they'll get to the level that they did last year of winning that division. Yeah, and people forget the Dodgers last year were banged up all season long. They, yeah, never, the were, they never were fully healthy had subpar years from a bunch of guys. And, and I'd actually argue the Dodgers' depth got better this year because of the fact that you're looking at Kevin Pillar and Hunter Alberto and even Gavin Lux with, with as ranch guys and, and Edwin Rios, who was actually pretty important in the 2020 season, uh, being healthy again. Rios, by the way, made that 2020 roster before the Dodgers lost Jock Peterson, lost Kike Hernandez, and lost a lot of players from that roster. Now, with all those guys gone, he's still at the bottom of their yeah. of the bench, which just shows that there was a lot of depth that the Dodgers brought up, and there's a lot. There are a lot of prospects in the Dodgers organization who can hit. They will find hitters if anybody gets injured this well, year. Well, the other thing I was going to say is, frankly, the Dodgers probably suffered more than any other team. They used they used their depth for versatility in terms of matchups, in terms of pitching changes and things. But I would say the Dodgers are going to be the team that may benefit the most from the DH in that one of those bats that's been sitting on the bench will be in the lineup instead of the pitcher at all times, whereas a team like the Giants that seem to try to manufacture runs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the Giants did a lot of lineup switching based on matchups. The Dodgers had the Dodgers probably had one bat sitting on the bench that they really wish could be playing in the whole game the whole time. It'll be very and it'll be very interesting. The, the DH is going to change National League Baseball this year. It'll be very, very interesting to see how that impacts teams, and I think the Dodgers are one of the teams that are really going to benefit from the DH offensively. And I think everybody knows that, too. I think the Dodgers probably are the team that benefits the most, and it's not even a race off of it. And I think that also allowed the Dodgers to be aggressive enough to get Freddie Freeman, knowing that they can still have Max Muncy, Trey Turner, and also have Gavin Lux playing, even with Freddie Freeman there, because one of those guys can slide to the DH. And I think that was a move that can only happen with the DH happening. Otherwise, you have Freeman, and then I guess you have Muncy playing second base, and then... 
Trey Turner's back to, and then Trey Turner still plays shortstop as natural position again, but then Lux just gets locked out of the lineup entirely, and I think the Dodgers want to play him. So I think overall, and also I think, you know, Kenley Jansen had a great year last year still while being dragged for it for some reason. I don't really know why, but I honestly think that Craig Kimbrell as a closer right now is probably just as good as Kenley Jansen, and the Dodgers will get guys back in their bullpen that weren't there last year, like Bruce Dargratterall, who was injured a lot last year, uh, and Blake Trinan will continue to be Blake Trinan. And other than that, they probably just pretty much stayed even with everything last year. The only thing that concerns me is the end of the rotation for the Dodgers. Right. Dustin May needs to get back soon because the, I, I will say I, I'm not a giant fan of the Andrew Heaney plan. Um, I'm okay with Tony Gonsolin, but he's he's a good he's a good fourth or fifth starter. Not good enough to be on a World Series winning team as a fourth or fifth starter, or as a fourth starter on, so he could be a good fifth starter. But the Heaney plan, I don't think, is going to work out well. I think the Dodgers need to get Dustin May back as soon as possible. Agreed. All right, well, let's uh, turn our attention to the playoffs. We won't go through um, all the predicted playoff matchups, especially with the expanded uh, playoff roster, if you would call it, playoff matchup, whatever you want to call it. Um, expanded playoffs. Expanded playoffs. That'd be a good way to say it this year. Let's just skip to our predictions for the first uh, the championship series, starting with the American League. I have the Blue Jays beating the White Sox in seven games, although this is uh, this is contradictory to my initial power rankings and my second preseason power rankings that both had uh, the White Sox is better than the Blue Jays. I do think that the Blue Jays have the better rotation and the more playoff-ready rotation and overall a better roster fit for the playoffs. I think the White Sox lineup can carry them for, through the regular season, but I think that in the end, when it matters the most, I think the Blue Jays will come around and end up beating the White Sox. All right, well, I think the White Sox avenged their playoff disappointment last year, um, and they come through and beat the Rays in six games and head to the World Series. So let's move over to the National League. I have the Dodgers beating the Braves in six games. I mean, you could say this was the NLCS matchup for the last six or seven years, and you'd end up right most of the time that at least they played each other. Uh, it's been the NLCS matchup in 2020 and 2019, or 2020 and 2021, Forget if it was in 2019 or not. I don't think it was because I think the Nationals actually won. Uh, but, uh, yeah, both of those teams have been there for a while. Uh, but I have the Dodgers beating the Braves in six. Uh, I think it definitely could be a seven-game series. I think the Braves definitely could win. I think those are the two best rosters in baseball. So I don't think that I, I don't really see anybody else going up and grabbing that NLCS spot in the NL. Well, I, I'm going to go with another uh, playoff rematch. Uh, Dodgers over Brewers in six. Um, they've played each other recently in the playoffs, and frankly, had uh, the Brewers not made a little error in the outfield that allowed the Nationals to win that game and then have their storybook run over the Dodgers, they probably would have met that year and fate would have been different. But you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Uh, I got the Dodgers over the Brewers in six. Again, I don't. I think the Braves just they don't have that magic run for whatever reason. It's very hard to repeat. So I don't have them getting back to the NLCS. All right. So you have the Dodgers and the Blue Jays in the World Series. I've got the Dodgers and the White Sox in the World Series. What's your World Series pick? I have the Dodgers beating the Blue, game, Blue Jays in a seven-game series that has a lot of hitting in it. Uh, I think average runs in this game, in this series is probably going to be like a seven-to-six game is going to be your average. These teams do not have Nationals of 2019 or Dodgers of 2020-like rotations, honestly. Uh, even though the Dodgers have literally the same pieces, I think Bueller, might, Bueller and Arias got better, but Kershaw is getting older. Uh, and overall, there's not that same depth that the Dodgers had back in 2020. So I think th- it's going to be a little bit of a weaker rotation. The Blue Jays definitely don't have the rotation that the Nationals had in 2019 or any of the teams recently. Uh, definitely not th- the same rotation as the Braves last year. 
uh, with Anderson, Freed, and, Mar- and Morton, and definitely not even what the Astros had last year. But uh, I-, I think overall that's going to lead to a very high-scoring World Series, but still a very entertaining one. All right, well, I've got the Dodgers over the White Sox in six. Would also be a high-scoring series uh, with those bats. Um, but, uh, again, I just think the Dodgers have the best lineup in baseball and in the postseason, particularly the World Series with the days off in between, that three-man rotation, Clayton Kershaw uh, being your third starter is not a bad deal with uh, assuming he's healthy, which, again, he's coming off injury, but he's, he's, he's pitching. Um, with Gonsolin as a backup, and who knows, May at that time, and who knows who they will trade for. I'm sure the Dodgers will do it again. That's They'll the other thing that the Dodgers will the probably trade for a starter, I think. I think that I think the issue will become apparent early, and the Dodgers will seek to fix that uh, pretty early on. All right. Well, then, uh, so we both have the Dodgers winning the World Series. Um, let's go to who we believe the most improved teams are in the American League and National League. I, I bounce back between two. I have the Blue Jays and the Tigers for different reasons. The Blue Jays for going from a, a barely missing the playoffs team to I believe the the most likely team to win the World Series, uh, other than in the AL at least. And then the Tigers for non-playoff teams, but overall I think the Tigers were more improved. I think they're going from a a losing record team to a team that's going to have a winning record. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs because of how strong the depth is in the AL, especially with the three teams in the AL East. Whoever doesn't win the division, I don't don't even know if the Blue Jays are going to win it, but out of whoever doesn't win the division, those other three teams are going to be very, very good, uh, and it's going to be hard to overcome them, but still the Tigers are going to make a run for that. And I think, honestly, the divisional schedule sets up well for them, I think, the AL East teams might beat up on each other enough that the Tigers may, might even sneak in. Well, uh, I'm going to agree with you. Uh, in the AL, it's only one team. It's the Tigers that are the most improved team, and I, I think they make the playoffs. And uh, then we both agree in the NL that it's the Mets, I think, for very obvious reasons. Yeah, so let's go to the other side. Uh, the teams who are going to have the biggest drop-off starting in the American League. Well, I'm going pretty easy with both teams who just gave up everything for no reason. Uh, the A's were close to making the playoffs last year after making it a lot years in years prior. They just traded everybody, and the Reds did the same thing. They were very, very close to making their to making the playoffs for the first time in a in well, not in a long time, but in a long time without an expanded format. Now they've expanded the format permanently, and yet the Reds don't want to contend. It's weird to me, but they let everybody go too. I think they have to get a big drop off. All right, well, I'm going to go uh, partly with two teams who I think will have the biggest drop off because I think they overachieved last year, um, and they didn't really get better. Uh, we'll start with the Red Sox. I just think that they overachieved last year, and as you pointed out, they're in that tough division. So, and nobody will take them lightly. And uh, I just think they're going to suffer a lot of in division losses. Um, and then the National League, I go with the Giants. They won a ridiculous number of games last year, and for the reasons stated, they lost their heart and soul of their team, Buster Posey. I think people are not uh, not not understanding the importance of that, how much he meant to that team. They lost Chris Bryant, who kind of kept them alive at the end of the year. We talked about. Some of the other guys, Brendan Crawford and, and folks, having um, sort of career years late in their career. And also, like I said, I don't know where the pop in their lineup comes from for the DH position. Jock Peterson ain't going to hit lefties. So that's what I'm looking at. Uh, and I also will say with the Red Sox thing, that trade with Jackie Bradley and Hunter Renfro might have been the worst trade this offseason by far. I don't understand. Hunter Renfro led the league last year, I think, in outfield assists. Uh, that, he's... At this point, he might be equal with Jackie Bradley in terms of defense, and the the point of the trade was to get better on defense. Hunter Renfro had a career high, I think, an average even. Definitely had a career high in home runs. He was almost, I think he was the 30 home run guy last year. He was amazing offensively. Jackie Bradley Jr. hit under 200. So 
They got way worse with that trade. I don't know why they made it. Uh, and look, they, that trade was just not very smart, honestly. Uh, and, and I think that Trevor's story is great, but you also have your whole left side of the infield solved with Devers and Bogarts. And I don't really know where he plays. And unless you want J.D. Martinez to start playing the outfield more, story can't DH. So I agree with you that they made some questionable moves, but I still think they're good enough not to be the biggest drop-off just because the A's are probably going to go from an 85-win team to probably a 90 or 95-loss team. And I think that 30-win swing is a really, really big one. All right, let's move to our Dark Dark Horse playoff picks in the American League. I I, I kind of foreshadowed it a little bit, so I'm going to go with the Tigers. Uh, I think really... One of those teams from the AL East is going to slip up. I think you think it's the Red Sox. I think it's probably the Red Sox too, or maybe the Rays' magic finally ends, kind of like the A's' magic ended last year. Uh, and I think that the Tigers, you know, a team who always spends a lot, or sorry, a team who spends a lot typically does better than teams like the A's. And I think this year that's what happens with the Tigers. They overcome uh, the Red. They overcome one of those teams. I think the Rays maybe honestly, but uh, just because of the fact that. They made a lot of additions, and the Rays really didn't. And then in the NL, I'm going to go with the Phillies, but they're not much of a dark horse. Uh, but they missed the playoffs last year, and really between the Padres, the Phillies, and the Cardinals, you're looking at three teams who are all fighting for that last slot. I think the really only dark horse you can make that has a chance, probably the Marlins. Uh, but that's the worst te- That's the best team who has any kind of a chance, and I just don't think their chance is big enough. All right, well, I already mentioned that I thought the Tigers were going to make it, so I'm going with a different dark horse, and that's the Angels. Um, a lot of talent. Shouldn't be a dark horse, but they never make it. Well, so Mike Trout, I think, has it long well, foreshadowing something. I think Mike Trout has a huge bounce back year. Obviously, we know what Shohei can do. Um, Anthony they, Rendon is, was out a lot last yeah, year, too. And they've got a great, I think they have a great lineup, and they've added a little bit of pitching help. We'll see if it stays healthy. And they needed it. <laughs> um, so I'll stick, I'll go with the Angels in the American League. In the National League, I'll go with the Padres. Kind of the opposite of the AL East. I think the NL West um, is actually pretty bad besides the Dodgers. I don't believe in the Giants. Uh, yeah, you made that pretty clear. <laughs> the Diamondbacks are all virtually, the Diamondbacks and the A's might be... The Rockies. Um, well, no, the Diamondbacks and the A's might be the oh. worst two teams in baseball yeah. um, this year, and besides the Orioles. Um, and, and then the Rockies just, I don't know, Chris Bryant must like skiing. I don't know why he would go to that team. He clearly doesn't want to contend, I guess. Um, I, I just don't think those teams are, are that great, so I think the Padres might fatten up a little bit. Um, on the on their schedule there and stay close enough um, until Tatis gets back. They did have some injuries to their pitching staff, which I think that uh, maybe Mike Clevenger get, getting back and yeah, Blake Snell maybe being a little bit more of himself. Yeah, yeah it'll be a little healthier. I think the Padres are my dark horse. Um, and also, I will mention, I think the Cardinals. Well, first of all, the Padres had an issue last year beating the teams like the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. They they took themselves out of the race by losing way too much to those teams. If you looked up the records of the non-Dodgers, Giants, Padres, NL West records, the Dodgers and the Giants lost like two or three times the entire year or something to both of them combined. I think they were both like 30 and 6 or something in that range uh, over the 19 games that they both played against those two teams. The Padres, meanwhile, had a record that was more like 24 and 15 kind of a thing where it was like, you're really not beating up on those teams enough and that kind of, that was kind of the reason they missed the the playoffs. Um, And I think... The one thing that I'm looking at is, I don't know if you can call the Cardinals a dark horse because they've been in it so many times. They made the playoffs. And also, their division is actually terrible because the Reds and the Pirates, if you think the Diamondbacks and the Rockies are bad, the Reds and the Pirates are probably the worst bottom of the division two teams that there are in the whole league. I agree. 
And not to mention, they also have the Reds, or, or sorry, they also have the Cubs as the third place team. And look, you compare the Cubs to the Padres, let's say those are the third place teams, that's a big, big difference. So I, I think the Cardinals, you can't consider them a dark horse for that reason, and that's why it didn't actually. Me, but they probably are more likely to get that spot, and the Phillies and the Padres are fighting an uphill battle to get over that team to get that last spot. Yeah, that's why I didn't include the Cardinals. They made it last year, and they're not really a dark horse because their division sucks. All right, let's move on to our MVP prediction, starting in the American League. I think that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will win the MVP this year. I think, I, don't, I mean... I will say the NBA has a lot more voter fatigue when it comes to voting the MVP two years in a row as the same guy than the MLB does, so it's possible Shohei repeats. That's what I initially had, but just to vary it up a little bit, I'll go with Guerrero. I think he can follow up his season last year with almost the same type of season, and people will realize that he'll have a tiny regression in numbers, and people will realize how ridiculous the season was last year by seeing how ridiculous it is this year when he puts up just similar numbers. Uh, so overall, I'm going with Vladdy. And for the NL, I think Juan Soto was robbed last year. He It sucks that his team wasn't very good, but Bryce Harper's team didn't make the playoffs either. And this year, with very high playoff expectations for the Phillies, if they don't make the playoffs, Juan Soto has to win the MVP because he will put up better numbers than Bryce Harper. And he is the best player in baseball today in the outfield. And by the way, he's the best player at the best position from position players. Juan Soto's the best player in the league. All right, in the American League, I'm going to go with Mike Trout. Um, I think he comes back from his injury, like I said, and has a, I've previewed this a little bit, has a fantastic season and leads the Angels to a unexpected playoff run. Um, in the National League, I'm uh, kind of an idiot because I predict, predicted Bryce Harper, and now that I think about it, it ain't going to happen two years in a row. So um, I'm going to go off the board and say... Ronald Acuna has a bounce back year from injury. Just like Mike Trout. Come, comes back. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing the bounce. I'm going to do comeback. Hey, if I'm wrong about MVP, they're both going to win comeback player. That, that's true. How's and that? also, I will mention that uh, the other thing that you have to think about with, with Ronald Acuna is that if his season numbers were extrapolated for a whole season, he would even beat Tatis's numbers, who obviously he was injured a lot, and that was the reason that Soto and Harper ended up being first and second in that vote, but if those two were healthy the whole year, the race would have been between Ronald Acuna and Fernando Tatis, and that would have been your MVP race, but instead, both of them got injured. Uh, I think Acuna has a good chance this year, too. He was the one I bounced back with with Soto and Acuna. Those are my two picks. Yeah, and I was going to take a Dodger, but then again, the problem is the lineup is so loaded. How can any one person be the MVP? And also, I will say, I think the most likely to get there is Mookie Betts, but the problem is the Mookie Betts won't hit in a position to get a lot of RBIs. I think Freddie Freeman and Max Muncy are going to steal a lot of Mookie yeah. Betts' RBIs. I think he's going to set the table and they're going to clean it, but uh, I think Acuna and Soto are in great positions to actually get all of their RBIs and do everything for their teams. All right, let's move over to our predictions for the Cy Young Award, starting in the American League. Well, the AL is hard other than Garrett Cole, but I'm going to go with Sean Manaya. I'm going to go off the board a little bit. I, I just think that the A's are going to have a rough season, but they're going to have one bright spot, and that's going to be Manaya. But whenever I go off the board like this, it always makes me look like an idiot. I always want to be a, a little bit less than just picking the favorite at every award, and then whenever I do that, the guy gets injured or he has a terrible season. But... I'm just put, put, I'll just say Manaya, and if he has a bad year, just say that I put this disclaimer on it to start the season. And in the NL, I'm going to go with Walker Buehler because I think without one bad outing against the Giants last year uh, at the end of the year and then uh, another few rough-ish outings to end the year, he would have won it last year. Uh, so I think he won't do that this year, and I think he'll end up with 
a better year somehow, even though it's really hard to statistically improve from where he was last year. And I think overall he'll win the Cy Young after having a slightly better year. And in the American League, I'm going with Garrett Cole. Um, I think there's a whole bunch of kind of, you know, candidates there, and nobody's going to shine really more than anybody else. And he'll get more attention being in New York, and I, I think he'll just he'll win the award just because of that. Watch uh, out with Garrett Cole without the sticky stuff, though. That's true. Uh, in the <laughs> National League, I agree with you. Walker Bueller, he's going to be the, the true number one starter, even though he really was the best starter. You know, people probably viewed Kershaw still as the Dodgers' quote number one. And Not- Scherzer was having a better year in the Do- when as soon as he had gone to the Dodgers. Scherzer versus Bueller at the ending part of the year. Scherzer probably actually outpitched Walker Bueller at the end of the year, but not over the course of the entire year. So unlike the MVP val- balloting, where there'll be a lot of candidates in the Dodger lineup, I think in the a pitching staff, the ace of the staff, who's going to have a great year of the team that's going to finish with the best record in the National League, the Dodgers will win it. So we agree with Walker Bueller. All right, well, that wraps up our preview of Major League Baseball for the 2022 season. It also ends this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, April 4th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly deep dive into the NBA as we head towards the playoff push, and have a look back at the NCAA Final Four and specifically the national championship game that will have been played that night. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted on Thursday and his MLB Power Rankings, all of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.